this morning, uh, as we were hearing from Josh last Sunday, um, the, the title that we've been running with is Movement or Settlement. That was from Randy, Bishop Randy, when he was here to talk about what that means. And those were the, the two words that kind of stuck out to me from his message, movement or settlement. There's a difference. And obviously, as he was sharing that, if you heard that message or if you've been listening to me at all, you know movement is the way we're going. It's, it shows action. And that was kind of what I took away from, from what Josh Good shared. His two words were active or passive. Discipleship is not a passive thing. It's not just something that happens to us. Like you're sitting there. This is just happening to you. Ted is just speaking and like my words are just happening to you. That's passive. Active is something is going to take place as a result of what you hear. Uh, This morning we'll take communion. And so you're going to receive bread and you're going to receive the juice and you're going to take that. And the idea is that as a result of that something, you respond in some way to what God has done for us. That's what Paul's going to talk about here in Ephesians. And this whole series that we've been talking about is just kind of trying to help us see the importance of being disciples. So we do things like take kids away to Twin Pines and just that whole weekend is they're going to get worship times, they're going to have, they're going to hear messages, they're going to get together as a a group, talk about that stuff, they're going to be in the Bible, they're going to have fun together, they're going to do meals together, That's, that's what discipleship is, they're doing it, they're just spending that weekend away when we do things like our men's breakfast. We want to be together, but we're trying to challenge each other. As Scripture tells us, iron sharpens iron. We're trying to sharpen ourselves off of each other. Discipleship happens not sitting here and having this happen to you. It happens because we get involved and we take some action. Movement conveys action the word action conveys action, not submissive or passive. And mission conveys action. All of it means we're doing something. And, and that's what I want to point out to us here this morning with what Paul has to say in Ephesians. Because I think it matters for all of life. This idea of discipleship is not just about manufacturing some feelings in which I really want to love Jesus more. When we use the word love, Paul's going to use it here. It's only two verses this morning. He's going to use that word. He's not talking about manufacturing some feelings when he uses that word. When we talk about discipleship and being disciples, it will have, as I'll point out, and should have some kind of impact, influence over your entire life. So your desire to know Jesus better and be a disciple should have some kind of impact influence over your marriage. Should have some kind of impact influence over the way you raise your kids, the way you interact with your son or daughter, the way you interact with your parents, your mom and dad, how you are at work, dealing with that problem person, that problem boss, that problem friend, dealing with severed relationships, your view and just ability to to handle anxiety that you feel about life, about the world, 
Like discipleship is not just, I really love Jesus a lot more. That's all I think about. It should change you. It's about transformation. So the picture I want to give as far as what Paul's about to say in these two verses, specifically the first verse, has to do with walking. So let's just imagine we've got snow on the ground. Uh, depending on where you live, apparently you got a foot of snow or we had like three inches of snow. But when you walk in the snow and you make prints, so there's a footprint, there's a footprint, there's a footprint. The deeper the snow is, the harder it is, is to walk in. But if you walk in somebody else's footprints, it's way easier. I don't go on Facebook very often, but you, you probably know this. You, you remember people's birthdays because of Facebook. Everybody's like, oh man, you remember my birthday. Yeah, because Facebook told me it was your birthday. So Facebook will bring up memories. This is what you were doing 10 years ago. And you're like, wow, I looked a lot younger and thinner 10 years ago. Well, I don't know how many years ago. It wasn't 10 because I was here at this church. It was a number of years ago, maybe 8 or 9 or something. And we, the adults here at Grace Church, went to Twin Pines for a retreat. The, the adults went on a retreat uh, around Valentine's time frame, President's Weekend time frame. And we spent the weekend up there uh, to do so. I, I don't remember what we were talking about, but someone was leading a, a, a retreat for us. But it snowed like crazy on like Friday night. And so Joe O'Neill, who loves the snow, likes to hike, invited any crazy people that want to go on a hike to go with him. So I went, Andy Sakelik went, and Joe was leading it. Well, the video on Facebook reminded me, I was basically like waist deep in snow on this hike with Joe. I mean, we're on the top of some mountain, and I'm like, are you trying to kill me? I just got here. Is this like your way of saying, we're not sure about this guy. Let's see if he can make it in this snow. I was, am younger than those two, but they were kind of trailblazing for me. So I was just kind of hopping into the, each of the snow things that they did. But it was just reminding me of exactly what I'm talking about with discipleship. It doesn't have to be a confusing term. It is simply... Jesus has walked through the snow, and you and I are trying to land right in his footprints. And, and the more that we walk in those footprints, I won't say the easier life is, because life isn't easy. Life is difficult. But the smoother things will go for us, the better perspective we have on situations, the more meaningful and fulfilling our relationships with, will be with others the more content we are personally with life as it is, job, finances, whatever. All those things happen as a natural result and outflow of walking with Jesus. He's trailblazing for us. We're trying to step exactly where He has stepped. He's already shown us how to do it. He says, this is how it works. That is what discipleship is. When I'm using that term, we are simply trying to walk like Jesus did. And that means life things. So here's how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now I recommended uh, all of you read the entire letter. It's only six chapters. We're going to be in this letter until the end of March. We'll conclude things at Easter. 
So we're going to take it bit by bit. Each week, we're going to unpack a little bit more. Today, it's only two verses. But before you get excited about two verses, I can go really long on two verses. It's not hard. But these two verses are essential for understanding chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. Paul is, is simply summarizing everything you need to know because he's about, to, as far as discipleship goes, because he's about to talk every, about every aspect of life. Personally, ourselves. He's going to talk about how we interact with our families, our, our home life. And then he's going to talk about how we interact with the world. And so these two verses are his way of setting all of that up. And so if you read the, entire, the entirety of this letter, the way that he begins it in, in chapter 4 is he's kind, of, um, he, he's kind of changing gears from the um, 1 through 3 of doctrinal theological things about what God has done for us in Christ to how we should then live. Chapter 1 through 3 is God's prior action. Chapter 4 through 6 is because God did this, how are we supposed to live our life? And really that's what discipleship is. How we live our life as a result of what God has done for us in Christ. And this is going to take really long because my, my clicker's not working, sound booth. You're going to have to advance the slide for it. So if we're just on this slide... You'd be surprised how long I can go on just one slide, and it's a title slide. Okay, it's, I guess you're not thinking that's funny, because you're hungry, maybe. So Paul says, here's the intro. He's switching gears. Because God did this, that's why I'm saying you should read chapter 1 through 3. Because God did this, uh, as a prisoner for the Lord then, because, Paul has, because God has done this for me, Paul is saying, now he was probably literally a prisoner in Rome, but... He is saying, I am sold out for Jesus because of what he's done. And he just uses this phrase. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I'm urging you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now we're going to talk about what that you means. Y-O-U. It's a, it's a small word, but it has profound impact in what he's going to say here. And he's urging us to live a life worthy of the calling that we've all been called to. And he's urging us to do this because of what God has done for us, chapter 1 through 3. And how are we supposed to do that? He says, we do that by walking this particular way in complete humbleness and gentleness, being patient, bearing with one another in love. Now those two verses are essential for the rest of chapter 4, 5, and 6. And, and here's why. Paul is saying that we are responding to something God has already done for us. Whenever you receive communion, that, that is what you are doing. You, you've done nothing, I've done nothing to earn what God has given us. This amazing grace that we sung about that God would show us this amazing love that we didn't deserve, you are reminded of God's prior action today when you eat bread and you drink this juice. God is reminding you and me that He has done something. 
And after you receive communion, now it's your turn. You get to respond. It's not, again, it's not something that's passive. This is active. You are responding to something that God has done for us. And that response is really how you choose to walk. Are you going to try and get in the same steps as Jesus? Are you going to blaze your own trail and do your own thing? Discipleship is walking like Jesus did. So you could actually translate verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy. You could actually translate, I urge you to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling you have received, basically because of salvation, because of forgiveness, because of mercy, because of grace, because of this love, because of God forgiving your sins. All those things that are so wonderful and we sing about all the time, what is our response to them? And the way you respond says something about you as a disciple of Jesus. Does the way you walk resemble the way Jesus walks. Now, I've been reading a book uh, and using a, a training manual called Real Life Discipleship by Jim Putman, and he uses these three things to convey this idea of not passive but active discipleship. I read this before in a book about ethics, how we should live, uh, by Dennis Hollinger. He used the same thing, head, heart, and hands. So when, when Paul says to live a life worthy of the calling you received, if we retranslate that to say that you should walk in a way worthy of the calling you have received, he's talking about our lives as it relates to the transformation that's taking place on how we think, how we view the world. We talk about perspective, our heart, you know, that, that place where we think of as emotions, but in Jewish thought it was more of the will, like the, the way that we speak then. Jesus said, the mouth, the mouth simply reveals what's already in the heart. And our hands, our, our behavior. If, if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, all of these things ought to be affected by following Him. And so maybe you used to walk a particular way, but you are now choosing not to walk that way and choosing to walk the way of Jesus, which means you, the way you think about things is different. Like how, what is important to me changes. The, the way that I speak to people, the, the values that I have, it, it's different, it changes. But my behavior how I interact with people. It's all being transformed. This isn't something that's passive where you listen to this, and you're like, oh, that was nice. And then you go home and nothing's different. A disciple is being formed. You're going to walk out of here and you're going to try and jump in those steps that Jesus has already laid out. And you're going to try and walk in them and get in the same steps as Him. That simply means the Holy Spirit is transforming our head, heart, and hands, and that impacts every area of my life, everything. My thought life, the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, the way I treat other people, 
the time that I give to God, all of it changes. Now, Paul uses a, a word. He says, you have been called. You are to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, when I say you, oftentimes you think it's just, you know, me. You, like you sitting there. Th this you is plural. If you were a Greek-speaking person and you read this letter to the church, that's what you would hear. All of us are supposed to be doing this. This isn't just a personal thing. God is personally doing this in my own heart and life. Ted's head, heart, and hands ought to be transformed. But actually, this all gets lived out in community. You can't do discipleship outside of community. It just doesn't work that way. When Jesus said, I'm going to go make disciples, He didn't just kind of do that by Himself. We follow Jesus around the three and a half-ish years that He lived with Him and 12 other guys. Now we are introduced to those 12 guys, but there were always different people sporadically coming into the scene. Probably other people hanging out with Him. At one point He sends out 70 disciples. So we know that he's had more influence on all these people, not just 12 of them, but those 12 lived this out. I mean, they actually got to walk behind Jesus. Jesus was actually right in front of them and walk in his footsteps. When we think about discipleship, it does not happen outside of community, meaning togetherness. That that's, that's essential for us to understand because there isn't a thing called just me and Jesus and I don't need His church. It just doesn't work that way. That's not how Jesus did it. That's not what Paul says. All of Scripture talks about discipleship in relation to all of you. You and me live in life together. And so that actually doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning you know, we're, we're barely together on a Sunday morning. That, that actually happens out there every day of the week. That's why we do things like life groups. That's why we have smaller group settings so that this relational environment can have an intentional focus on discipleship because we're all trying to follow Jesus. And now, this is a you thing. It's all of us together. And so Paul gives us some very necessary instructions on how we live all of this out. So verse 1 and 2, okay, we're all called to walk this way. And how should we do that? Verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So that idea of being humble and gentle, gentleness is not a thing of weakness here, that's not what... Paul's conveying. He's actually talking about a willingness to serve others. The key mark, the key characteristic of a disciple of Jesus is putting other people above yourself. Humility. When Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom to many. a key marker of what it means to be a disciple, if you're like, okay, what's the image I'm getting in my head? 
Who do I know that's really good at serving others, putting others' needs above their own, walking in humility, knowing themselves, and not being prone to pride or arrogance, getting a right perspective of yourself in service to others. So Jesus summed it up for us very easily of what discipleship looks like. He said, all the laws and the prophets can be summed up with two. Does anybody remember the first one? To love the Lord your God with what? There you have it. Heart, mind, soul, like head, heart, and hands. Let's just rephrase it to say head, heart, and hands. To love the Lord our God with our head, heart, and hands. So Jesus is summing up this whole thing that we have with that number one. Okay, if I'm thinking about discipleship, I'm called to love God with everything I have because of what He has done for us. And number two, Jesus says to love your neighbor already acts of service. He has summed it all up. Discipleship has all been summed up. That I would love God with my head, heart, and hands, and I would love my neighbor. I would serve others. Now, this is obviously a wonderful training ground for all of this, is, is marriage. To love and be humble and gentle, willing to serve is marriage. Because even, I'm not going to say kids, because lots of us are willing to serve our children sometimes more than our own spouse. I'll see how you like it. But then I'll serve my children. And when there's issues within marriage, we kind of point that service towards our children. And we go above and beyond to serve them. Because it's not always easy to do that. Now, Paul is saying... Uh, you guys, you community, church, are called to serve each other. And to do that, bearing with one another in love. Now actually that verse 2, bearing with one another, can be translated to put up with. You know, sometimes we just got to put up with each other. To endure. This isn't like we are, we just kind of, oh, you can sin, you can sin, doesn't really matter. Sin needs to be forgiven. That's what Paul says in Colossians uh, chapter 3. He kind of says it a little bit different. Uh, I don't have it on the screen for you, but if you have your Bible, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's you. Now that phrase is used a lot in the Old Testament about the Jews. Paul is applying it to the church. Therefore, you guys, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, there's three of them we had already. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone... Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Make every effort to keep or be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, 
bearing with one another in love. That is key if we are actually going to be disciples. If we are not doing that, then we cannot claim to be following Jesus. Now, maybe we don't do that perfectly. That's pretty obvious. I don't do that perfectly. The church hasn't done that perfectly throughout human history. Sometimes when you're trying to jump in that step that Jesus already did in the snow, you kind of fall a little bit and you mess the snow up and then you get back up and you try and jump in the next one. That's pretty much what discipleship looks like. But why Paul says we're binding all this together in love? This is not a manufactured feeling we're supposed to feel towards each other. We have a very distorted view of love in our culture. Love basically equals romance. That's what love basically equals nowadays in our culture. We just observed, uh, what was it, a few days ago. How many of you got in a fight on Wednesday? Because you didn't have a card, you didn't have chocolate, or it was Valentine's Day. It also happened to be Ash Wednesday. Man, that's pretty different. Some traditions on Ash Wednesday are putting ashes on your forehead in the shape of a cross to remind you of your own mortality. Hey, guess what? You're going to die one day. Well, that's a wonderful thought to your loved one. Did you write that in the card? Here, here's a homo card. You're going to die one day. But love is very different that Paul's talking about. It, it is not that. That's a, an aspect of love. Sure. That there is an aspect of feelings and emotions and romance. That, that is all well and good. That is not what Paul is talking about here. I'm not asking you to work up some feelings and emotions so that you just feel loving towards somebody. If you had to feel that way towards your spouse all the time, you'd be in trouble. That's why when people get married, it's not the whole language of the, the, the service. I'm, I've got to do two weddings this year, maybe a third wedding this year, I'm not sure. The whole service, you are saying things to each other and you are making vows to each other. And you know what you're saying? The only thing that's going to separate us is death. That's the only thing that's going to separate us. Now, there must be more going on in love than manufacturing emotions. You know, you don't necessarily always feel like going to church, do you? And, you know, as much as I love all of you, I, I don't always feel like going to church. I, I, if I had to do this job and just manufacture feelings all the time, number one, I'm not good at feelings. It's... It's not my thing. I just suck it up. I mean, come on. But if I had to do that, if that's what love was, I would have quit a while ago. It's actually a commitment. And I'm reminded of that commitment because I seek to do that in my own life with my wife, who I did the same thing that many of you did. Stood up and said, there's nothing that's going to separate us. Only death can do that. I'm choosing to love you. Do you realize that Paul, we read it at uh, lots of weddings in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Do you realize that whole conversation 
about love. He's talking to us. He's not talking to a husband and wife. He's talking to us as a church. We do this discipleship thing together as a response to something that God has already done for us. And one of the things that um, Josh said last week that I've been challenged with, he was talking about youth ministry and, and he is a millennial and actually Facebook told me that he just had a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Josh. I don't like to admit I might, I think I fall in the millennial age, age bracket. I, I don't admit that to everybody. I'll admit it to you, but don't tell anybody that. The amount of money we poured into youth ministry, I experienced that, and then I did youth ministry just volunteering at the church I grew up in from, I don't know, I got back there in 2005 and did it until I left in 2012. And he said, the statistics tell us that there were more people my age, not in church, that grew up going to all those youth groups that are not following Jesus. And that really stuck with me. I'm like, what do we got to do different? Like, how do we change that course? And then he said something else. He concluded his, his message by saying, the next generation needs a seat at the table. And so I'm thinking about all the kids that went to Winterthal. And I'm asking myself, God, what does it look like for us to give them a seat at a table? in a meaningful way, that they help us learn how to disciple them. Because we're speaking different languages often. They're, they're living in, world, in a world that is very foreign to us in a lot of ways. But we're still called to disciple them because it's not something I just do by myself. So we're, we're going to receive communion. And I want us to think about this in a specific way. Tristan, if you want to come up, and eventually the ushers will come up, and they're going to serve, if you've been here at Grace Church, uh, they're going to serve you in the pew. If, if you haven't been here at Grace Church for communion, you do not have to be a member of the church. You simply have to have confessed your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You simply have to have made that decision to take that step to start following Jesus. If that is you, then God's table is open to you. And so it is here at Grace Church. That table is open to you. Because what we're about to do, chapter 1 through 3 is summed up in what we're going to do. That God decided through His love and mercy and grace to come into the world He created and to die in our place. Jesus lived the life none of us could and He died the death we actually deserved. And because of that life, because of that death, and because of His resurrection, in place of that judgment that we deserve, He's given us mercy and grace. The calling that you've received equals salvation. 
That is all God's prior action. There's nothing that we did to earn it or deserve it. It's something that God chose to do, not because he had to manufacture some feelings, because he genuinely loved us. This is how we know what love is, Scripture tells us, that one would lay down their life for their friend. That's what Jesus did for us. That is God's prior action. Discipleship is simply, God, because you've done that for me, I'm going to respond in this way. I'm going to love you with my head, heart, and hands, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And you start walking that way and living that out, you are walking into and living out what discipleship actually means and looks like. And you, plural, we do that in community together. And that's why we receive communion the way that we're receiving it. We're going to do that together. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to pray along with me, to pray as God leads you, and then the ushers are going to come up here and uh, we'll distribute communion. And we'll all take that communion together. Once you have the bread, we'll wait till everybody gets it, and then I'll share the words of institution, and then we'll all take that, and we'll do the same thing with the, with the cup as well. So let's pray together. Lord, uh, we just uh, come before you uh, this morning, uh, God, recognizing that it was, Father, your prior action that even gives us this opportunity. It's you, God, inviting us to your table so that we might be reminded of the forgiveness of sin we have through your Son, Jesus Christ, because it was his death and his resurrection that we are able to receive new life as what your your word tells us so god as we come before you we recognize that we've not always lived the way we should god maybe it's been a long time since we've walked in jesus's steps god maybe we've never really done that and today's the day in which we start god i, I pray that you would just cleanse us of our sin lord those rebellious ways that we've lived. God, us trying to, to make our own path instead of following Jesus's. Forgive us, Lord. And God, as we, we do something very simple, just eat this piece of bread, drink this juice, Lord. May it remind us and may your spirit once again pour your grace out upon us that we might respond and give you our head, heart, and hands and love other people the way you've called us to do it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.